Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And welcome inside another episode of From the Flats, Georgia Tech prepares to take on the Bowling Green Falcons of the MAC East Division. We're now joined by the Bowling Green Falcon beat writer from The Blade in Toledo, Ohio, Nick Petrovich. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, let's start with this. Obviously, I think in some ways, both Georgia Tech and Bowling Green find themselves in similar places, not only a one in three record, but uh, disappointed and parts of their team that they thought perhaps would be a strength. I know Bowling Green expected to have their offense be their strength this year. Georgia Tech has had some bright moments offensively and then some uh, discouraging moments on the other hand. But as far as Bowling Green is concerned, why do you think that uh, the offense that was expected to be a strength in 2018 uh, has struggled as much as it has to this point? The clearest thing you can point to is the offensive line. I mean, they have, by max standards, a really good receiving core. And, you know, they went into Oregon the first couple possessions there and it's 10 to nothing Bowling Green. They're a 30-point underdog. And for some looks around Autzen Stadium, like, what's going on here? They figured they were going to be the type of offense that was going to be able to score on just about anybody. But they have really struggled, particularly the past couple of weeks, in pass protection. Um, Jarrett Dagey, their quarterback, just really hasn't had any time to throw. He got sacked five times last week. He was kind of running for his life. So they have to figure out something. They haven't been able to run. Um and they've been in clear passing downs and haven't been able to pass protect. And that makes things awfully difficult. Coming off a 2-10 and ten season, obviously a lot of growing pains last year, but you mentioned already Jared Dagey and then Andrew Clare, two freshmen who got a lot of reps. Do you get the impression that they're improving? And then can you kind of give us a scouting report on the quarterback, Jared Dagey, Tech fans having just seen Trevor Lawrence as a freshman? Uh, that's probably some of the best that underclassmen quarterbacks can offer at the Division One level, but what can we see from Dagey? Yeah, no doubt. He, um, he's been, been getting progressively better. The best thing you can say about him in his career so far is that he's been pretty efficient. He's had a couple uh, garbage time interceptions this season. However, that's been his biggest asset is that he really hasn't made, for a young quarterback, he hasn't taken a ton of risks um, to the point where he's getting into bad turnovers. He's not really a mobile guy, but he's uh, elusive enough in the pocket where he's um, usually able to buy himself a little bit of time. Miami's coach, Chuck Martin, um, who BG just played last week, thinks Claire is arguably the best running back in the MAC. He was, out of all FBS running backs that came back to school this year, he was fifth in yards after contact last year. So he's really tough. He's not a particularly fast guy. He's not a big guy. But he's very good at finding spaces inside the line of scrimmage, inside the tackle box. So that's kind of his thing. Um, those are their two, their two big guys. If those two players are playing well, that's usually a good barometer for what their offense is doing. As far as Bowling Green's defense, I know one of the first things Tech fans will look at when sizing up an opponent is how well they defend the run. Not well. Uh, in Bowling Green's case, <laughs> not well is, is the short answer. But what, what's, what's the long answer, I suppose? Why, why has that been such an issue for this group, especially considering they've got uh, five of their top six tacklers back from last year, albeit a disappointing defense a year ago, but it seems like they do have some experience 
you know, why have they struggled so much to stop the run? Well, they have two guys in their front seven are out for the year. Their sacks leader from last year, David Konowalski, uh, hurt his Achilles during training camp and is gone for the year. And they had one of their linebackers is gone for the year. And they're not particularly deep there in the first place. So they've just been getting gashed up front. Uh, I think their secondary is actually pretty solid in terms of pass defense. But their pass defense has been like having a really great boat in the middle of Nebraska. It doesn't matter if you have a great pass defense if nobody has to pass. And so far, nobody has. I mean, Eastern Kentucky came to BG a couple of weeks ago and just really ran it at them. And Bowling Green really didn't have any answers for it. They've had their past three opponents have just run and run and run and run. And they haven't been able to stop, which if you're drawing up a matchup for them, uh, Georgia Tech and then Navy are probably the two single worst ones. When it comes to Georgia Tech specifically, though, have, have there, has there been talk of any adjustments uh, in trying to slow down the run from head coach Mike Jinks or anyone else in the staff or changes they want to make going into this week, knowing that's been a problem for them thus far? Well, I think they for them to realistically have a chance to go down there and compete, they're going to the offense is going to have to play a role in this. Um, the best way to beat Georgia Tech is probably to keep that offense off the field or to get them in a game where they really need to start to throw the ball. So I know Bowling Green this week wants to have a little bit different passing attack where they are then able to move the pocket and help Jared Dagey kind of uh, not be under siege all game. They want to go tempo a little bit, and if they can get their passing game going, their hope is then they will then be able to run the ball. So. They need to take advantage of probably the few possessions they do have. And Mike Jenks, their coach, mentioned today, when they get in the red zone, it has to be touchdowns. If you're settling for field goals, it's probably a long day for them. And to be fair, Georgia Tech, of course, they've uh, lost three straight and they're doing a little bit of soul searching themselves, I'm sure, at this point. So interesting matchup, two teams that have a lot of confidence in their offenses, uh, but thus far I've not been able to get the wins to prove it. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. And, and if our fans want to uh, follow you and get some more Bowling Green scoop. Where can they do that? Um, tw I'm on Twitter. My BG is uh, Nick P. Blade. All right. Thanks again, Nick. And when we come back, we'll hear from a former Yellow Jacket letter winner who had some pretty special days in his time on the Flats. That's coming up next on the From the Flats podcast. Snap to Taylor. In the gun. Looking to throw. Batted in the air. Intercepted Derek Morgan. Or Jason Peters. Jason Peters batted it up in the air and then intercepted it. And we are now joined by Jason Peters, four-year letter winner for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets on the defensive line from 2008 to 2011. And uh, thus far, in just our fifth episode, he is by far the longest distance call we've made to our former letter winners. As Jason, you are on the left coast out in California. Uh, first, how are you doing? Doing really well. It's sunny. The weather's great, and I, I have no complaints. All right. That's what I like to hear. So let's start with this. Where are you exactly in California, and what are you doing? So I'm working for a chemical company called BASF in Newark, California. We have construction materials uh, facility out here. We produce and distribute to a lot, a lot of different uh, customers out here. I'm an engineer for the company. I work with procedures, daily operations, um, product, uh, product distribution, a little bit of equipment failure, uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. That's a long way from Atlanta, obviously, and also a long way from Baton Rouge, where you came out uh, of Catholic high school and went to Georgia Tech. Why did you pick Georgia Tech uh, coming from Baton Rouge? 
honestly, I picked it because I get think I, I believe that it gave me the best opportunity to be successful off the field and on the field. Uh, I know that's one of the things that they recruited me on pretty hard. I uh, wanted a place that I knew would give me a best chance to whether or not football worked out for me. Um, and I think I had opportunity to be really to succeed on both both ends to compete against the best and to get a good education. Well, clearly got a great education, clearly competed against the best and, and beat the best. Uh, a good number of times uh, in your four years, the 2008, 2011, does, does one memory or moment uh, stand out to you more than the rest over those four years? The Interestingly enough, playing Virginia Tech uh, ACC championship year, uh, I, I've somehow, by the grace of God, I, 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 I tipped the ball and then uh, ended up with an interception somehow. I, I stumbled into it, and uh, I just remember the feeling after the game, and then everybody cut down the goalpost. I just remember feeling such pride in being at Tech and such a huge moment for everybody and just talking to all my friends and all my teammates everybody was just excited how pumped up we were for the game um that's probably one of my best football memories ever you know just the feeling of the moment it's just you get lost in it sometimes well i'm not gonna let you let, let, let you sell yourself that short that interception first you tipped it and then you did a full 180 and sprawling backward and getting it just above the blades of grass i mean that's got to be one of the most athletic plays I've seen a defensive lineman make in the last 10 years. I mean, that was that was really impressive, Jason. <laughs> I appreciate it. You give me a little bit too much credit, but I, I would say this. I was looking at it on a film, and I was like, did I actually really do that? I thought it was a dream at one point in <laughs> time when I went to sleep that night. <laughs> Everyone remembers seeing the goalpost go down. What was the play-by-play for the players, though? You guys obviously celebrated on the field. Did you go back in the locker room? Were you out there for the goalpost? What was it like being a member of the team? and? Can you, can you tell us about, you know, the, the couple hours after? Honestly, what I really remember what happened after the game, I want to say Coach got us in the locker room really, really quickly, and everything else was just kind of a blur. Back when it is, I didn't see the goalposts go down. I, I only heard about it because one of uh, my good friends ended up with a piece of it from that game. So it, it was the weirdest thing in the world. And it, it kind of is true what they say sometimes about tunnel vision when you're playing. All you see is what's going on in the field, and you're concentrating in the moment. And when that moment's over, it's like you kind of wake up, you're back in the locker room sometimes. So you're telling me a buddy of yours has a piece of the goalpost. Do you have a piece of the goalpost? I'm still kicking myself for not getting a piece of the goalpost. I, I probably could have had an opportunity if I worked a little bit harder to go get a piece. But one of the <laughs> biggest moments in my college career, and I missed out. Well, I feel like there's a lot of people out there with a the goalpost right now that didn't have nearly the impact on that goalpost coming down as, as you and some of your teammates did. So uh, any, anybody who feels that, you know, perhaps Jason Peters should have a piece of the goalpost, let us know. And we'll see, and we'll see if we can work something out for you. You let me know. I, I, I'll pay for the shipping. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about some of the defensive linemen you played with. Obviously, Michael Johnson still playing with the Bengals, uh, who oddly enough are going to be in Atlanta this weekend, taking on the Falcons. Uh, Derek Morgan with the stint with the Titans as well. Uh, what was that group like? And, and obviously being a, one of the younger guys, especially considering uh, just one year of overlap with Michael Johnson, what did you learn from them? Interestingly enough, just work ethic, just understanding how to work, how to push myself. And it gave me a great, it gave me something to chase. It gave me something to aspire to. It gave me something to compete with. It gave me, it gave me something to say, that's what I want to be like. I want to be, I want to try to be better than now. I want to try to get stronger, be faster. And I think that helped push me to a place where I really, really enjoyed uh, competing at that level so it, it was a great experience to always have someone that's just a little bit better who understood things a little bit better probably even worked a little harder at times because we were always trying to push each other it made the transition a little bit it made it tough of course but it helped me get better as a person and of course when they're playing around freak athletes all the time 
you have to step your game up. So it's either kind of adapt or die. <laughs> Sink or swim. Um, Sink or swim. Uh, speaking of, of, of guys uh, who were in school with you, I'm curious. Uh, Sean Bedford, our color analyst now, and Roddy Jones, a former color analyst and ESPN sideline reporter. Tech fans hear a lot from them. But I'm curious, do you have any dirt on uh, either or both of them? I'll never forget one of the practices. One of the dirtiest plays I ever saw came from Sean Bedford, one of the nicest, most respectful, one of the best people I know. We were in camp. We were dog tired. And I'm talking about this is probably the 80th or 90th play in a, in a summer scrimmage. And the, he hikes the ball, and I was actually standing over him because I was playing deep, uh, nose guard at the time. And I remember he just snaps the ball, and he just grabs my leg and just picks it up and just tackles me in the middle of the play. I'll, one of the craziest plays I ever had during during uh during scrimmages came from Sean Bedford. Well, he was he was kind of chippy for a walk on, wasn't he? He had more fight in him than I'd seen anybody else. Just would not quit, and he found he found something that he found once he had his position at center, he was unbeatable. He would go against anybody just as tenacious as they come. Jason, thanks again uh, so much for joining us. And, and if you do come back, uh, let me know. We'll see if we can uh, have, have you swing by the radio booth and uh, perhaps even on the sideline as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love being around tech, love being around the culture. Hey, if, you, if I get a chance, I'd definitely love to chat with you some more about tech football and just Georgia Tech in general. Go Jackets. All right. When we come back, we'll hear from Andy Demetra and get Sean Bedford's rebuttal on uh, the dirtiest play Jason Peters has ever seen. We'll have that in just a moment on the From the Flats podcast. 402 to play in the second quarter, second and ten. The shotgun snap. Lawrence dumps underneath, and it is intercepted by Desmond Branch. I don't know if that was off a deflection or if it came flush into the hands of the senior, but Georgia Tech picks off the freshman and will have the ball inside the Clemson 25. And that is what the first career interception sounded like for Desmond Branch this past Saturday against the Clemson Tigers. And now joined by the men who broke it down in real time and brought you play-by-play that entire afternoon. Andy Demetra, Voice of the Jackets, and Sean Bedford, color analyst and all-ACC lineman. And, uh, guys, let's go ahead and, and start out with this. Uh, obviously, this weekend, this Saturday, was a disappointment. Three-game losing streak. Never want to uh, find yourself in that position. But what did you guys take uh, from this past Saturday's performance against one of the top teams in the country? Well, I think Tech went toe-to-toe with Clemson for the first quarter and looked pretty good at times doing it. It was really unfortunate that things broke the way they did, in particular because it looked like Tech had a lot of momentum and was doing things the right way, um, getting a couple of big stops against a very potent Clemson offense early in the game and also mounting a couple of um, respectable drives. But I think in, in something that's been happening far too often this season, Tech just kept committing unforced mistakes that set them back and put them in a position where they were forced into into really difficult situations, where, you know, third and long, um, fourth down situations, turnovers. Anytime you put the ball on the ground eight times, it's going to be really difficult to be successful. Uh, and I think that marred what was otherwise a, a pretty good initial showing by the Jackets. But then once Clemson got that momentum, they were just too talented a team to be able to hang with. And, you know, I think we said it during the broadcast, if you're going to try to upset a team, that's as talented as Clemson or you know, some of its comparable schools, you have to play nearly flawless football. And unfortunately, Tech didn't do that. Yeah, and Clemson's one of those teams, guys, that illuminates your flaws. And if you make even the slightest mistake, they're going to expose it. And Georgia Tech's mistakes and some of the, the lack of details in their execution, uh, they got illuminated uh, on Saturday. But 
Just remember this, Clemson did not line up any differently from a formation standpoint than USF did. And Georgia Tech had 600-plus yards of offense against the Bulls. So you have to acknowledge the talent level that they faced last Saturday. But you're right, it's about getting back to the fundamentals, refining those fundamentals, everybody doing his job. Is there frustration? Yes, but there's not resignation. Are the improvements subtle? Yes, but they're not sweeping. Uh, is there urgency to get these uh, fundamental issues corrected? Yes, but there's not panic. I think if Georgia Tech comes out with that right mindset, gets some success early, gets that offense rolling, keeps the ball in the hands of the ball carriers and not on the ground early, I, I think it'll kind of ease them up, relax them, and get them back to playing the kind of football we know Georgia Tech is capable of. I'm curious, guys. Obviously, still eight games left to play, but we do have four games in the books. And for some of the younger guys, their first four games. Has anybody individually impressed you guys through the first four games? I know we've seen some some good play from a number of freshmen and sophomores, but who in particular? Well, I think Jordan Mason has been really impressive at B-back so far, and he'll be the first to tell you that he has some things to do in terms of shoring up his game when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Um, you know, And that's always the most difficult thing for a young running back to, to adjust to at the college level is blocking and, and really being physical when you're not carrying the ball. But I think when he's had an opportunity to carry the ball, he's really hit the hole hard. He's made some good downhill cuts. He's shown some good speed and some some good um, ball carrier vision and awareness. I think there's a lot to like about the way he's performed. And then defensively, there have been a couple of guys who have who've really shown that they have the potential to be playmakers down the road. And I think that starts with Tariq Carpenter, who has shown that he loves to be around the ball. Yeah, he has a knack for making plays. He's not afraid to hit. And uh, I've been really encouraged by his play so far. Gee, thanks for uh, giving me some left over there, Sean. <laughs> Stole all my thunder. I was going to point out to Reed Carpenter, yeah, he, he brings the wood when, when he tries to lay a shot there from his strong safety position. I think he's got a lot of physical abilities. Paul Johnson said as much on the radio show Monday at 6'2 and 218 pounds. And a guy who might have earned more playing time based on his performance against Clemson was Zamari Walton, the freshman, is that number three DB taking advantage of that battlefield promotion on the depth chart. He seemed to be in the right place, had a couple of nice pass breakups, and facing an air raid-style offense like Bowling Green, it's a situation, guys, where all defensive hands might be on deck in that secondary. You might see more of Zamari Walton, and we'll see if he can continue uh, his growth and his maturation in that defensive backfield. I think you look at Bowling Green's offense, too, and, and the secondary is going to be important because of that air raid offense. And, and we go back to a month ago, guys, I, I felt like, that was one of the bigger questions for Georgia Tech's defense. Obviously, the new system was important, but also the fact that you lost a lot from the secondary from 2017. And I don't want to say it's been a non-story, but in some ways it's been, at least in my opinion, somewhat of a non-issue because these young guys have uh, stepped up and played so well, and they'll be tested again this weekend. Well, and before we let you go, the last uh, comment we've got to uh, circle back on here, and Sean, you're, you're a lawyer by trade, so we wanted to give you a chance for a rebuttal, but we had Jason Peters, an old teammate of yours, on to our, during our letter winners segment, and uh, he said that the dirtiest play he can remember in his football career came in a summer scrimmage uh, when he was lined up against you in, in the warm Georgia heat, and he said that you picked him up by his leg and tackled him. Uh, what, what does the defendant have to say for himself? Was there a flag? Because I don't recall one. Um, <laughs> I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> All right, that's sufficient, I suppose. But uh, Jason Peters uh, did not take kindly to the walk-on taking him down. 
<laughs> yeah, Jason was a heck of a player. And I will say, he was a big guy, so I'm not entirely embarrassed that I was able to uh, to pick him up with maybe some some arguably borderline technique and, and put him on the ground. But, uh, no, Jason was a heck of a player. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're blocking somebody who's as physical as Jason is, you, you have to resort to um, less conventional tactics. Let's just say that. <laughs> Well, Sean, you're a lawyer by trade, color analyst on uh, the weekend. I think it's safe to say that a succinct, impactful, and uh, convincing statement on your part is uh, something you get to do day in, day out, and that was well done. There was not a flag. All right, with that, guys, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, Andy, Sean, best of luck in the booth on a Saturday at noon. We'll have our pregame coverage beginning of the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network at 10 a.m., and then Toe Meets Leather against Bowling Green at noon. Guys, have fun. Thanks, Wiley. We will. And Wiley, for you, who were the two previous head coaches of Bowling Green before current third year head coach Mike Jinks? Because they're both in the ACC. Ooh, I got Dino Babers. And. Saw him last year at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Last year by not, not Narduzzi, is it? Dave Clawson. Dave Clawson. Okay, fair enough. All right, I like that. Okay, well, I got, you know, we still got about 48 hours here to get ready. So I'm going to keep, keep digging up my notes. I'll let you reuse that for the pregame show because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Thanks, Andy. All right, guys. Talk to you later, and uh, let's go get a win on Saturday. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage, and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.